Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, you just shared with me the biggest vote of confidence I have we have ever heard on this show. I know we're really hard on ourselves for good reason. We're terrible people. We're not good at this. Uh, but we we have accomplished a lot, and, and I think we should do a better job of celebrating our successes. But never have I really felt like I do in this moment, knowing that your toddler son, Henrik, Hank for short, and yes, was named after the Hank, uh, loves... <laughs> loves to listen and watch this podcast listen to and watch this pod the winged wheel podcast and like i was telling you there's nothing i want less in my life than when i'm relaxing at home just scrolling through youtube on the tv to see our logo pop up and have my son yell at me until i turn it on and then i gotta sit there listening to us (laughs) dude even when i edit i do the entire thing cringing because i just hear our voices (laughs) But hey, toddlers are brutal. Like kids are, I I don't need to tell you, but they're absolute savages and they'll tell you exactly what they're feeling and what they think at all times. And so the fact that they not only put up with us, but like to listen, we got to be doing something right. That's good. His brain's not fully developed yet. No, (laughs) take that for what it's worth. Hey, you know, he's, he's poised to be a hockey player. (laughs) Good for him. He's well on his way. Oh man, this is a big day for me. This is the my pretty much annual tradition of giving in and having some hope for the Lions. <laughs> I've let them win. They've they've sucked me back in. I'm I'm all in. Lions are winning out, doing what they need to do to uh, fight for that wild card spot. Inevitably, you know, however many episodes from now, you guys will be able to laugh and clip my disappointment as I sit there looking like Evan, devastated. Uh, but for now, man, whew, this team. See, this is why. Sp- um, certain money lines are always funny to me because I saw the reaction of the internet when the Lions were the favorite against the Vikings. Yeah. Well, it's almost like they know what they're doing. Vegas knows, man. All right, folks. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and a big uh, transaction that actually happened in terms of Red Wings goaltending. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco not pictured is Evan. Uh, Evan isn't here because he is on vacation. If you live in the great state of Arizona and at your local golf course, you see Shea Weber there, uh, please shove him out the door and tell him to spend more time with his girlfriend. Uh, but Brad and I are, are going to be uh, trying to shoulder the burden of uh, Evan not being here. So we have a lot to talk about. Like I mentioned, the Red Wings just wrapped up their uh, four-game road trip, uh, which was a mixed bag. I think there's a lot of good and, and some Uh, some bad in there too. So we'll talk about how that finished up. Uh, Some Red Wings who probably deserve a little bit more recognition. Uh, Magnus Hellberg recalled uh, off of his conditioning stint with the Grand Rapids Griffins. And uh, NHL news. A lot of NHL news. How many podcasts are going to have the title Tage Against the Machine this week? Probably quite a bit. Yeah, you could also, you know, it's a little past Halloween, but start some Smashing Pumpkins, just a rat in a Tage. (laughs) That's good, man. For a late episode, I feel like you're you're on it today. The wheel is turning, but the hamster's dead. 
<laughs> okay, before we jump into things, there's a couple things I want to let everyone know about. Um, as you may have heard, or if you don't already know, this uh, podcast is a very, very proud supporter of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And uh, anytime we do anything outside of just, you know, talking into a mic and, and posting episodes, we try to help uh, make sure any support that's that's garnered is redirected, at least in some way, to the Jamie Daniels Foundation in their fight against substance use disorder. So a couple things. Right now we have the Mickey Redmond styled, sig- the signature Mickey Redmond style winged wheel podcast flannels uh, that you have seen. They are custom runs, they're special edition, and they are slowly, slowly selling out. I believe extra large and larges are both sold out. Uh, all of their sizes have some stock left. I think there's about 20-ish or just under 20 of those left. So if you haven't uh, got yours yet, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop, or the link is in the description of the episode. Uh, it is exactly uh, the right time to get it if you want it before the holidays and uh, get them before they're gone. Secondly, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. If you haven't heard of it, it's a special event that we run in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, what it is, it's a full day event pretty much. So before a Red Wings game, we have a live recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast. The last three of them featured Ken Daniels and Mickey Redman. Uh, we are working on some more, uh, special guests, some more little surprises, some goodies for you who come out. Uh, your ticket also gets you access to the Red Wings game. So not only do you get access to the pregame live recording of the podcast where there's going to be merch giveaways, prizes, meet and greet Q and a the live episode, uh, you get a discounted ticket, a special winged wheel podcast discount to the game at the LCA. You You get to sit in special winged wheel podcast specific sections and, you can sit anywhere you'd like, lower bowl, upper bowl, gondola. We have sections across the arena. Uh, and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation directly. So uh, all in all, it's a great time. The fourth one is Saturday, April 8th, 2023. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. Again, that's Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. All right. So the Detroit Red Wings have wrapped up their four-game road trip. Uh, last episode was a lot of jubilation after their big win over Tampa Bay, 4-2, and we were looking ahead to two games, Florida and Dallas, that the Red Wings had just to wrap things up. Let's talk about the Florida game first. I know the face you're making, and that's very fair. Um, last episode, we mentioned that Derek Lalone had noted that Alex Nedeljkovic was going to get one of those two starts guaranteed. We didn't know which one it was, but he said he was going to get one of them. And uh, it did happen to be the Florida game. And all in all, there are a lot of confounding or or a lot of contributing factors, I should say, that led to this. But all in all, probably the worst effort we've seen from Detroit in a long time here relative to the season. It's our fault. We spent the last couple episodes praising their consistency. Yeah. And all the positives and negatives that are going to come with this iteration of the team with the consistency consistency they've had so they have a key matchup with their backup goalie against a team they're competing for one of the last playoff spots with and they were brutal they were bad through and through there was no redeeming qualities to that game for the Detroit Red Wings hey Giannis and Berggren scored great (laughs) we're we we love Johnny Burgers and um that was a thing that happened, but <laughs> well, even that was at the end of like a brutal power play where they had nothing going and it was a Lucas Raymond shot that just 
you know, bad goaltending gave Berggren a, a great rebound that he put in. And hey, you know, credit for positioning, credit for Johnny on the spot. Like you got to put yourself in the good areas to get rewarded on stuff like that. But you know, I'm not going to even waste my time getting into this player that, X player this, they did this bad, special teams that. That whole game I can summarize from the skaters standpoint. That give a shit meter looked real low that game. Yeah. Let's start with the big story. And we're going to be talking about Ned at different points this episode. But that was, this was Nedeljkovic's, I think, first opportunity in a while. And and it could end up being his last opportunity for a little while to really prove that he should hold that backup spot for the Red Wings. Um, You know, we've said this time and time again. We've had this discussion quite a bit, but... He's not exactly been given the best opportunities in the world. I think if a lot of people were saying, oh, if you want to give Ned the absolute most comfortable position to succeed and give him the Columbus game to start off, start the road trip or, or an easier opponent. But the fact of the matter is the Red Wings have a four-game road trip. Their, their last five games were Vegas, Columbus, Tampa, Florida, Dallas. Those are four playoff teams. Um you don't get to just manufacture easy situations for a goalie. Nedeljkovic came into this game needing two things. He needed to have a consistently solid 60 minutes, and he needed a strong Red Wings team in front of him. He got neither. And the takeaway from that is he has himself to blame, and the team shoulders a lot of blame too. And then there's this big question, and I'm sure people who are smarter than me can look into the data and and isolate for variables and try to figure this out. But this whole situation screams goalie not playing confidently and isn't getting support from the team that is often needed to lift a goalie out of a funk who's otherwise talented. And team does not play confidently in front of a goalie who is good for two or three stinkers a game and is absolutely tanking them some games. Uh, I don't think Detroit had the effort against Florida to win regardless. But how much of that is because they're not inherently confident in front of him. And there's no perfect balance there, but that whole game just reeked to me of no one in this situation is playing confidently, the goalie, the defense, the team in front of him, et cetera. Yes, I get where you're coming from, and there's probably a little to that, but I I don't know if I fully can get my head around that narrative. Like, I, I get a team... I fully get and realize that teams play differently in front of different goaltenders. But usually when you have a goalie that's struggling, it's the inverse. I'm going to give you a name here, and you're going to know exactly what I mean in terms of this conversation when I say it. Okay. David Ayers. (laughs) It's funny for the memes, but Carolina put on a five-man defensive clinic that game I, I think that's different i don't know if you can use that as an example but when teams know there's someone behind them that's not gonna stop a puck generally they're selling out sacrificing offense sacrificing whatever to make sure that puck doesn't get to their own net and if it does it's not going to be from a high danger area Okay, but how De- much Detroit of, was playing like they wanted Nedeljkovic out of town? How much w- of of the David Ayers thing was Carolina having the personnel to do that? Because Detroit doesn't. Oh, no, I, I fully agree. Carolina is a team that can put on a defensive masterclass, but we've seen this year that Detroit can put on frequently a very good defensive performance. It takes 
all five players on the ice. It, it doesn't abs- come just from the defense. No, ab- you're absolutely right. It's it's Derek Lalonde's system is yeah. designed to reduce chances against, and they have been very successful with that this year. Like not to the elite teams in the league. Yeah. But on their good nights, the Red Wings defensively are an above average team. Yeah. What the hell was that Thursday? They like again, I understand you're gonna play differently in front of Nedeljkovic versus Huso, but to me, like every time every team I've ever played for, every situation like this, like for good and bad reasons, like I'm not, you know, saying this is a full honor thing, but like if you have a let's call a spade a spade, a shitty goalie going in net, you as a player understand we can't let that puck get to the net because we don't know which ones are going to go in. I've played with great goalies. I've played with bad goalies. You don't need to speak it. You know that underlying we cannot let them shoot. And if they do, it's got to be from a low danger area. And yeah, I, I don't know. What happened in that floor? It could have been burnout. The Red Wings have had a ton of great game, like consistent games, good performances, a lot of effort. They're shorthanded. They're injured. Yeah. It, this like, could this could have just been the trap game. They were missing Ole Mata unexpectedly due to yeah. illness. Wallman wasn't in the lineup. They had to pull. So that means Lindstrom and Hag, who I, I, you know, I hate to begrudge either of those guys. They've been god-awful together all year, and that's who the Red Wings were forced to lean on as their They've also pair. been god-awful individually, but yeah. Yo, no, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. there's That's not been a good... It's not been good hockey there's, for either of them. There's not an NHL player between them at this point. So the Red Wings weren't a Wallman away from winning. They weren't, you know, a Lindstrom or Hag weren't the difference. The whole team had a terrible effort, but yeah, just to add some context, the Red Wings were even more shorthanded defensively other than just not having the personnel. Yeah. So we're, we're, this could be, and, and probably likely as a situation we're trying to read into this, how does this team play differently in front of Nadelkovich when that might not even be relevant to this at all. So you're saying I'm galaxy braining it. It's possible. Like okay. I, I can see both on this one, but this could be a trap game. You know, you're coming off a big win against Tampa where you got absolutely caved in the third period. You're on a road trip in Florida. Let's be honest. They <laughs> yeah. probably had a really good Wednesday. Yeah, they probably ran into Evan. And, you know, you show up for the game in uh, Thursday in Florida against a really good team, beat up, tired. This, this, you know, we talk about it in football all the time. This could have been a trap game. Yeah. This And, like, you know, the more I'm thinking about it, the more the stars kind of were aligning for that. So, yes, I agree. Teams play differently but behind different goalies. I think the inverse usually happens where you see more of a lockdown when when you have less confidence in a goalie, but I think the ultimate answer here is, yeah, it's a long season. They had an off night. Yeah. Unfortunately for Ned, it happened on a night where he needed it to go well, and uh, it didn't. So the Red Wings ultimately lost 5-1. Um, that was, again, just terrible through and through. The, the Florida Panthers got really high danger chances against Detroit. A lot of different players got exposed, eaten up, etc. Um, it did suck. You know, Olimata being out with illness was unfortunate. We've talked for hours probably over the, over the season on this podcast about how much of a, a rock he's been on in Detroit's top four next to Philip Hronick. Uh, Jake Wallman not being in. The Jake Wallman thing, okay. They announced it as coach's decision. I might be tinfoil hatting here. But they say whenever a player is scratched, there's almost nothing said about it. It's just these. Play- this is our lineup, and then you infer, you know, these players with healthy scratches. 
to specifically call out Jake Wallman coach's decision. And then right next to him was Olimata illness. So it's not like Jake Wallman was also sick. Uh, and then Jake Wallman was in the next game. That to me just reads like one of those things that happens a lot in locker rooms where it's like something internal. He got sat for one reason or another. Something happened in practice, team, whatever it might be. Um, it, it That actually happens quite a bit. It just almost never makes it publicly. And if it ever does reach the point of sitting for a game, I don't know, different. There's no rules around what you have to say, right? In reality, yeah. Jake Wallman was just healthy scratched. The fact that they use the terminology coach's decision makes me think, okay, yeah, something happened here and they're explaining why they sat, who is a really good defenseman and someone who would have been a better choice in Hag and Lindstrom. Comfortably better yeah, than he's, those two. He's been great in, in his role this year. Yeah, and, you know, not to jump ahead games here, but the next game he was on the second pairing with Hronik. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the situation is and I hate to speculate, but based on performance, yeah, I think you're right. He was probably just something internal that they resolved late and, for a team meeting overslept an alarm that you see that stuff happen all the time yeah um evan could probably tell you all about that yeah exactly so <laughs> you know for the sake of the team i hope that's what it was because you know there really was no justified excuse for just plainly healthy scratching jake wallman and throwing robert no. Hagen, gustav that, lindstrom to the wolves but and that's not the kind of talent evaluation we've seen from Derek lalone either he's been pretty solid in that regard um and, you know, it's it's a blessing that we saw the next game, which we'll talk about right now, with Wallman in. And, and like you said, it's the whole thing has resolved itself without us even having to know the specifics. So that's that. Uh, Detroit falls uh, in an ugly way to, to Florida, and then they head to Dallas for the last game of their road trip. And this one was, I think, a good recovery all in all uh, for four four straight road games, fifth game uh, in, in seven days. I think Detroit had a good effort here. They ultimately lost 3-2 in overtime, and we'll talk about how that came about. But, you know, this is, that was a good bounce back game where in previous seasons, I think Detroit would have come out probably and and probably have been caved there. Uh, they're still without Olimata. Um, this was, I think, a decent effort against a really top team in Dallas. Yeah, the first 40 minutes, they were good. They were um, controlling the play for the most part. Again, a very typical Red Wings game of this season. Not a lot happening, you know, suffocating the neutral zone, not giving up a ton defensively, also not generating a ton offensively. But, no. you know, they were op- opportunistic on a couple chances, um, especially with Prawn scoring in his 1,000th th- game, which is always a fun story. And... In the third period, you could very much see the legs were getting heavy. They were trying. It, oh, just, yeah. it just wasn't there, and Dallas kind of took over the play. But, you know, in Villy, we trust. Uh, he he had a good, really good game to keep Detroit in it. And, uh, yeah, again, not one of those games that you pull up the game film on in a couple weeks to kind of go over things because I don't think they did anything wrong per se late in the game because again the first two periods were good mm-hmm. i i think their legs just fell out from under them and they just couldn't keep up with what is a very good hockey team and dallas specifically is very good off the rush which if your legs are heavy oh yeah that's less than ideal uh stop me if you've heard this before but despite i think dallas controlling the balance of play in key moments over the course of the game Vili huso was largely solid and kept detroit in it i know stop the presses. Um, 
I think that's how the game got to overtime. The scoring actually opened with Dylan Larkin had an awkward slapper where the puck looked like it was too far in front of him. It was way too far in front of him. But he placed it beautifully. I think if he was using it, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm, uh, what's it called? I'm brown nosing a little bit to you here, Brad. But I think if he, he was using old stick technology, there's no way he ever would have gotten the whip on his stick that he needed to put that puck there. But he placed it perfectly and he got the velocity he needed. And that was just a perfect shot from Dylan Larkin off the rush down the left side. Yep. The most awkward snipe I've ever seen. It looked like a bullet. And then you watch the replay. You're like, oh my God, I would have fallen on my face trying to take that shot. Which isn't, you know, never use a, use that as the bar for how good an NHL shot is. But no, uh, that was a good setup by Zarnik to find him. And uh, the Red Wings got off to a great start. Dallas ended up taking a 2-1 lead. Uh, and David Perron in his 1,000th game got a gorgeous tip. It's going to go unnoticed, but that shot or that tip off the Sherratt shot from the point, I think was excellent. Perron was fighting in front with the defender for that space and got his stick down. If it was a millisecond later, that puck would not have been in, but it got his stick down in just the exact right way. And that is why coaches are all about, you know, battles, battles along the board, battles in front, battling for every inch because every inch matters. And it was encapsulated in that play. I'm being dramatic about a 2-2 tying goal in a game that Detroit lost, but really, really respect the way Perron was able to get a stick down there and uh, a thousand games. Wow. Yeah. uh, Where was he picked again? I know he was picked by St. Louis, but it feels like forever ago because, well, if you play a thousand games, I guess it was, you know. 26 overall in the 2007 entry draft featuring Patrick Kane as the first overall pick. Oh. And uh, former Red Wings legend Sam Gagne actually was in that draft. Okay. But yeah, I mean. Who did Detroit draft one pick later? You said 2007? 2007. And he was pick number? He was 26 and Detroit picked 27. Brendan Smith. Oh my God. You're amazing. <laughs> You're like, and I mean that in the most insulting way possible. Like. <laughs> I, I probably could have gotten there. I think a lot of Red Wings fans could have gotten there, but the fact that it didn't take you that long at all, whenever people force me to say nice things about you, I'm like, he is, he's like the the TV show Sherlock where he has that whole mind palace, <laughs> but every room in his mind palace is just hockey facts. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so uh, Perron scores in his 1,000th game. The whole team was so pumped for him. That was cool to see. And then over time. Brad, if you roll your eyes back any further, they're going to just do a full 360 and you're going to be looking at me again, although I don't think it'll be too comfortable for you. But that overtime was kicked off by Detroit having the puck for, I think, approximately two minutes and 30 seconds uninterrupted. And I'm not kidding. They had possession of the puck the entire time with maybe one shot. And I don't even know if that was on goal. It was not. They might have been generous and gave it to him, but it, it maybe uh, Ottinger got a piece of it, but it missed the net. And it was not from a scoring area. It was a shot from distance. If and when the league institutes an over and back rule or some kind of adjustment to three and three overtime to stop teams from just leaving the zone to maintain possession, that overtime will be used as one of the examples of why. Two and a half minutes of possession, zero shots. I can't even sugarcoat this one that was pure chicken shit hockey 
That was, we are scared to make a mistake. That was, oh my God, oh my God, please don't take the puck from us. Because it's great to possess the puck. It's even better to possess the puck in three-on-three overtime. Everybody listening to this right now knows the absolute importance of having the puck in three-on-three. Everybody. If you don't get a shot, what does it matter? Yeah. Eventually, somewhere on the ice, someone has to force the issue to make something happen. Three-on-three defending has gotten really simple. You take a guy, that guy doesn't get between you and your own net. And that's what Dallas did. They're like, we're not going to press. We're not going to gas ourselves. We're not going to chase. Just, I have my guy. I'm not letting him between me and my goalie. And Detroit at no point made an attempt to alter that dynamic. We'll phrase it. Nobody with the puck tried to, you know, burn wide or throw a deke. Nobody without the puck took an aggressive route to try to get to the crease. Yeah. They did nothing. They played keep away for two and a half minutes, which isn't going to win you a game. They kept regrouping, which again, I understand why that's smart. And I understand that possession is important. They played scared. And, you know, I'm never happy to see the Red Wings lose. But when Dallas scored that overtime goal, part of me in my head went, that's what you get. Well, that's what you get for playing like that. Here's the thing, though. What you were saying earlier about Detroit having heavy legs and they were gassed end of the road trip, that's probably why they leaned on such a safe style of play. They too, always right? do that in overtime. They all, Look at their so, overtime record this year. It's atrocious. But so does most of the league. Unless you have, you know, uh, Marner and Matthews or, mm-hmm. or Kucherov and Point and whoever. Like, they, the Red Wings... No, yeah, it, it circles back to that conversation of, yes, the Red Wings are not going to outgun a lot of these teams. They don't have the talent. But in a right. three-on-three, you can even the playing field. Do the Red Wings have the depth to go star for star going down? And But when you're only putting three guys out on the ice at a time, Ken, Larkin, Raymond, Sider, Perron, even this year, Kubelik, keep up with a lot of the big boys in the league? Yes, they can. Yeah. Can they generate offense against these guys? Yes, they can. We've seen them do it before. I mean, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond were dynamite in overtime last year. Absolute dynamite. Larkin's got, how many times has he made a huge play in overtime? With Larkin's speed, he can make things happen in overtime just by doing that. You have the space to wind up and use it. Um, I mean, I, I almost don't even want to blame this one on the players because you could see it was the objective. And yeah, you, you're going to play it a little safer on heavier legs, but you know what helps heavy legs in overtime? When you only play 30 seconds of overtime, end the damn game. Well, I agree. I do agree. Like, I'm big on an over and back rule. I don't think, I don't know that necessarily I agree that this is a Detroit thing so much as most teams in the league are going to revert to this. And that's by the design of the rules for three on three overtime. I, you know what? You and I hate coming into an episode agreeing on something because that creates a shared bond between us, which we work hard to never have. Um, But genuinely, I think we're both of the same mind that the league is probably heading towards a space where they're going to have to evaluate, is this entertaining? And is this actually accomplishing what we need overtime to accomplish, which is just to get the game done to avoid too many shootouts. Uh, And we're, we're, as teams adjust the three on three rules, and we're probably already there, the answer is becoming no more often than not. Uh, They need to implement some, or in my opinion, they need to implement some kind of rule to stop them from leaving their own zone and going back over the blue line and back over even the center ice red line or even further just to maintain possession of the puck. 
because for anyone who's played hockey, you know, in three on three, there's just too much space. And if you try to commit or make a move to, to steal a puck and you get burned, that's it. That That's an odd man break. And that's likely a goal or a quality scoring chance. So teams are incentivized to keep the puck. Yeah. And you know, obviously I'm dumping all over the Red Wings for doing this, but the reality is if you do get a chance, you miss it. The other team, and when the other team comes back on like a two on one, three on one, or a breakaway of some kind, yeah, that's when three on three overtime gets good because if they don't score on that chance, it goes back the other way. It just takes that one mistake to turn the whole thing into a full blown chaotic mess, which is what we as fans love and what coaches try to avoid at all cost. So that's what it's turned into. Now the Red Wings are the more extreme example of this because the more skilled teams, even though they do, you know do the over and back thing and like prioritize possession again, as they should, they try to make things happen at no point in that two and a half minutes to me, did it look like the Red Wings were trying to generate offense. They were just cycling the outside, hoping that like best I can think of a stars player trips. Like I, I don't know what their game plan was and they were playing scared. They're like, okay, well if we take a shot and miss and Dallas gets the puck, uh, it's game over. That was the mentality they had. And ironically enough, that's exactly what happened because they held it for too long, went too deep in overtime. Players got tired. Larkin was running on fumes to the point where his brain stopped working. And Dallas scored. It's yeah, like you caused your own problem by trying to prevent that problem. Yeah, Larkin, uh, Larkin was out for a very, very, very long shift. Tried to get off, couldn't, got the puck, was up down the uh, the right side boards. And uh, instead of making the easy pass back to Raymond, uh, I think it was Sherratt who was up there, tried to get cute. It was a big miscommunication. It was a big brain fart from Larkin. Let's call it what it is, like you said. Um, just completely gassed. Dallas turned around, and with like 30 seconds in overtime, they they turned and won the game. So, again, Dallas was, I think, the better team. Um, but that whole overtime was just... I don't think... I don't... Up until Dallas scored... I think fans of both teams were probably rolling their eyes watching that. Like, ugh. But avoiding the fact or ignoring the fact that every team is doing this or most teams are doing this like possession at all costs thing, I do agree with you. The Red Wings probably need to work on just generating any more offense. There's a very obvious argument of, well, don't just shoot into shin pads or, yeah. or blocked lanes because then, again, that's how you lose a puck and then there's a break the other way. You do what you need to do to generate lanes then. Same same kind of concept as the power play. You need to be moving around. You need to be doing different things to throw off the defenders, whatever it might be. And coaching needs to try to find the best matchup that they can. On the road, understandably harder, but still. Anyways, that's the Red Wings. Ended up losing the game. They're probably very happy for the uh, few days of break here before they uh, start back up against uh, Carolina at home on Tuesday and then Minnesota on Wednesday. Uh, but a very quick summary. The Red Wings leave this road trip with five of the possible eight points. Win against Columbus, win against Tampa, loss against Florida, and an OT loss against Dallas. There's two losses in there, and before the road trip was a 4-1 loss in regulation to Vegas, but that's ultimately a good result for the Red Wings in terms of keeping themselves in the conversation and not letting the floor fall out from beneath them. And for the immense amount of difficulty over those four games where three of them were top-notch playoff caliber teams, five of eight points, everyone from Dylan Larkin to Steve Eisman has to be thrilled with that. Yeah, that's better than we were expecting, better than we were hoping for. 
you know, we were all saying, you know, 500 points percentage. So they only beat that by one point, but they beat it. They, so, you know, all the things they had going against them, they had, you know, a really off night. You could tell their legs were catching up to them. They've had injury problems, health problems, you know, Mata's out sick. So God knows how many other players are sick, but are able to play through it. And they got five of eight points. Yeah, that is absolutely a successful stretch. It does leave the Red Wings now because of how much of a Thunderdome the East is outside of a playoff spot. They are currently, uh, with games in hand over New York, uh, outside of that second playoff spot, they have two games in hand and they're one point back on New York. They have one less regulation win as well. So uh, essentially they need to garner a point in a regulation or, or a regulation win. Sorry, if they garner a point, it won't be enough to get the tie break. So they'll need a regulation win, which will launch it past New York anyways. Regardless, middle of the season, it's there's no point in uh, worrying too much about tiebreakers. But Detroit's still in the conversation. I think the the clear picture that we're boiling down to here is the Atlantic is going to have Boston, Toronto, and one of Tampa Bay or Florida. Probably Tampa right now, but you know a lot can happen over a season. And then the wild card is really where Detroit's opportunity is going to be if they are going to stay in the mix here. Um, Florida is right in there with them, which makes it very very hard. And that loss against Florida does have big implications. You know, loss against New York, again, big implications. Both New York teams are in there. So the real measure here is what did we see from the Red Wings against playoff caliber teams? Because I think, yes, they got those points. They beat Tampa Bay. They took a point off Dallas. Had a, a shot bounce a different way. They could have taken two points off of Dallas. But... Did they play well enough to say, yeah, this is absolutely a team that is playoff caliber and will be in the playoff mix come April? Because I think from what we saw, there was a lot of overachieving and grinding for Detroit, and I don't know that that's sustainable over 82 games to to make it in. So there's two answers you could give here. I'll give the simplistic overarching one. Is this a team that can and should contend for the playoffs as of right now and from what we've seen this season? Short answer, yes. Because your goalie is a part of the team. Billy Huso is a top 10 goalie in the NHL right now by goal saved above expected. He is absolutely in one and he is their MVP and he is the first star of the night 80% of the games they play. Yep. So everything we've seen right now, assuming nothing changes for the Red Wings the rest of the season... Yes, this is a team that should be in the playoff hunt come April. Now, the obvious question, okay, but how's the team actually playing? Is this a team based on on-ice performance, not counting goaltending a playoff team? No, absolutely not. They are not. Not for lack of trying, not for lack of, you know, improvements, not for lack of, you know, coaching improvements, not for lack of effort. There is a lot to love about this team. Yeah. There's still a huge talent gap between them and the teams ahead of them. Yep. But again, going back to my first answer, talent can be at any place on the ice and the Red Wings where they do have a potential star on their hands right now is in net. And as we saw with the Rangers last year, that could be the ultimate difference maker. So, you know, if Billy Huso is able to string together a full season of this, that's one thing. If he's not, the Red Wings are doomed. And it's, it's, I hate to put that much on one guy's shoulder. It's absolutely not fair to him, but that's the reality of the situation right now. I think the only way your answer could end up being wrong there is if Bertuzzi comes back and is immediately at full force, which I'd be surprised by considering 
what we saw in his limited time before being injured again. And if Verona comes back, and you know we've been getting a lot of questions, is there Verona news, is there Verona news? The way the player assistant program works, teams don't even hear. If there's no news, there's generally no news. Now, uh, I, I don't know it, like the length of the program. We don't know the context behind it, so we can't even begin to speculate as to how long he might be in there. So right now it's very much still uh, in the dark. Um, we'll let you know if we do hear anything, but that's a big if, right? So if Bertuzzi comes back and is great, and if Verona comes back and is great, then, oh, boom, the Red Wings now have offense to the point where it's not Dylan Larkin trying to solo hero it in overtime against Dallas, maybe. Uh, but even then... All that is is predicated upon the fact that they have solid goaltending. What I'm nervous about, and the reason why I'm just kind of enjoying every game where the Red Wings are even close to contention, is I know how fickle goaltending is. One injury, one illness, one bad game to throw them off. Even the best goalies in the world get in a funk. Okay, let's say Huso gets in a funk for 10 games between Huso and whoever the backup is, Nadelkovich or Helberg. 10 games, Detroit loses most of them because they don't have good goaltending then really doesn't matter how good Huso is. This isn't the kind of team to then go on a 10-game inverse tear for the most part, right? Like, this isn't the Tampa Bay Lightning where they can just decide, oh, 30 shots in the third period. This isn't the Dallas Stars where they can just grind away in a game where things aren't going their way. It's a fragile floor right now that the Red Wings are on. But I don't want that to sound doom and gloom. Every single point they've gotten, like you said, Brad, has been the result of improvements at so many different levels and this is all just part of the process of eventually becoming a playoff team i think this this road trip has been a fantastic microcosm of that because what did we see wasn't perfect sometimes ugly sometimes these magical wins a lot of it on the backs of goaltending uh could have gone differently with one just one bad bounce a different way and you just have to appreciate the fact that it's going to be that messy bumpy ride so yeah, in all, I, I'd be surprised if the Red Wings are here come April, but hey, this road trip could have gotten way worse and we could have already been talking, okay, now the Red Wings are out of the playoff picture because they just lost five straight games. So kudos to Derek Lalone, kudos to the Red Wings. This is, we would not have been having this conversation over the last, what, five iterations of the Detroit Red Wings? At oh, least. God, no. Like, pretty amazing. Okay. Uh, much more news in terms of roster decisions and movement to come. But first, I want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel to get your discounted subscription started today. 
All right, Brad, we can't complain about Steve Eisenman's uh, timing of moves and the episode posting again, at least for a little while, uh, because you walked in my front door and then I started legitimately, and I'm not making this up, cheering in my kitchen. It was me, you, and my dog, Abby. I was hooting and hollering in my kitchen, not because of the Lions win earlier today, but because Magnus Helberg was recalled from his conditioning stint just this evening, right before recording the podcast. So Steve... Thank you for that. Red Wings, thank you so much. And now we have some certainties, so we don't have to talk all about, uh, you know, this is likely to happen this week at what point. No, we know for a fact Magnus Helberg, after a largely successful conditioning stint, has been recalled to the main club in Detroit. What's next? More of what there was before? Boring answer, but again, the Red Wings are still in a position where they can comfortably carry three goalies. What's different this time is I think Helberg will play in the next couple games. He's They sent him down to Grand Rapids to get some games in, to get him fresh, to get him loosened up. It's a conditioning stint. Like get his conditioning up. Like Get him game ready. In two days, the Red Wings have a back-to-back. Carolina, Minnesota. I would not be surprised to see Helberg get Minnesota just to, to see what they got here. If he has a half-decent game, Again, you don't need your backup to be a star, but your backup can't lose you games. Your backup's got to be at least good enough to keep you in a game, not steal it. And Ned hasn't done that in quite some time. No. So Ned largely at best has been fine for periods, and that's at his best. Yeah. So, you know, I don't expect Helberg to be anything, you know, I don't expect him to be a huge revelation. I just... Can he be better than Ned? Maybe. Almost probably yeah. at this point. So, you know, now that he's got some games under his belt and you can comfortably throw him in a game and feel like you're not putting him in at a disadvantage, that might be the one. And um, if not, then yeah, it's probably just going to be carrying out the three goalies for as long as they can. Yeah. And to clarify, when I said Ned at his best has been fine, we haven't seen at his best remotely at all. Largely, it's been a pretty terrible season for Nedeljkovic. Um, So that said, Helberg was on a conditioning stint, so he was going to have to come back up soon anyways. The Griffins don't play again until the 16th, so it makes sense to bring him back right now. He's practicing with the team, getting NHL shots in practice, et cetera, et cetera. And the Red Wings have the option. You know, with the injuries, um, Soderblom was activated off of IR, which is great news, and then sent down to Grand Rapids to play there, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, you know, there are spots being freed up on the Red Wings, so they do have the option here of carrying three goalies. Like you said, Brad, for, it's for as long as they, they can get away with. Um, I know it's been mentioned before that they can do the same kind of conditioning stint with Nedeljkovic. I don't know that they can do that right after Nedeljkovic has just played recently. He'd probably have to be scratched for a while before the league would approve that. Otherwise, they'll probably push back on Detroit because they don't look too fondly on things like conditioning stints being abused just for you know player management. Um, but the Red Wings will have to have a decision coming up. But yeah, you're right, Brad. It's it's a boring answer until then. I would imagine we're not going to see Ned get a quote-unquote another chance here right away at least. It could happen. He could play the Minnesota game, but I I would bet that, yeah, Helberg will probably see one of those games just based on what he did in Grand Rapids. He looked great the entire time, and even before you know the Griffins' most recent game, which was, I think, a 4-0 loss, uh, 
he has ended up with a two and two record. Okay, whatever. Uh, 2.5 goals against average and a 932 save percentage. Like he he went down there and played like a guy who is a NHL backup caliber goalie playing in the AHL, which is what they want to see from him. So, I mean, yeah, at this point, Ned's not been good. He's been in his own head. We have not seen a a solid 60 minutes from Alex Nedeljkovic for since what last season, pretty much. Early last season. Well, he's he he recovered with some shutouts towards the end of of last year too, or at least one shutout, unless I'm mistaken. Co- yeah, that's only a couple games though. It was good to see you gave you a glimmer of hope for this season, but um, you mean a consistent yeah Ned game over game yeah yeah it's not been since early last year. I think they have to try Helberg. I think they have no other choice. Now I hope, I do hope the end result here isn't that the Red Wings lose Nedeljkovic for nothing on waivers. I. Uh, I know a lot is made of guys who have the talent and have the potential. There's a million guys outside the NHL who have the talent and potential, but just never put it together. Putting it together is 90% of being in the show. But Ned does have talent. And it just sucks to have seen it and now not see it. I don't have a lot of hope that he's going to rebound and all of a sudden be like a starting caliber goalie. But I would love to just have the situation work out where the Red Wings can give this time pretty much juggle between him and uh, Helberg with who's so starting and do the best they can to both give Ned a time to reset. If they do end up having to wave him, hopefully at a time where a team doesn't want a bottom tier goalie in terms of goal saved above expected uh, for $3 million and he'll just clear waivers. But there, there are options here for the Red Wings. Uh, I, I do think the next step though, is that we see Helberg in some capacity at this point he almost has to play otherwise what was the point like you know again to not oversimplify too many things this episode you didn't claim him for nothing you got to play him eventually and you know a back-to-back when Nedeljkovic is struggling mightily feels like the right time to do it yeah I and I've seen a, a lot of argument about this folks who are pretty you know, done with Ned and they're like, if you wave him, you wave him, whatever, like outside of the start of the season with Detroit and his 20-ish games with Carolina, he's not shown a lot. And I've seen a lot of people who cite those exact same 40 or so games or whatever uh, as a reason why he should stay. So I don't think either camp can argue though that the performance hasn't been there from Ned. And if this team does want to win as many games as they can, which I know is a ridiculous thing to say, but this is not a team gunning for Connor Bedard in the draft right now. That much is playing. You need a better option uh, as your backup goalie. So can't argue with the decision. Uh, I think it's the right call. I hope to see Helberg come in and have a great time. Honestly, uh, just to see the pads again, we do have, they have come, they've landed in Detroit. They've been shipped from Sweden. So they're in Detroit now. So we'll, we'll probably see him wearing them soon enough, uh, which is cause enough to see the guy in that. Those he's had great pads everywhere. He's gone Ottawa, Seattle, Detroit. They've been awesome. Hey, don't half-ass anything. No, you can appreciate it. You're a big gear guy. I'm actually oh. surprised you didn't. B- between how insane you are as a person, like you're genuinely a lunatic, and how big you are on gear, I'm surprised you didn't end up being a goalie. Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> what if What if Hank asks to be a goalie? Don't you put that evil on me. You tell him uh, politely but firmly to F off. M- Mika had her one game in net this year, as they always do in Timbits Hockey. She loved it, had a ton of fun, hasn't asked to go back in yet. It's perfect. 
I, uh, I'm big on, you know, causing minor, but not insignificant grief in your life. I think that's funny, but I would never go so far as to inspiring your kids to be goalies. No, even, even with my, uh, discount through work, there is not a human alive that can actually truly afford their kids to be goaltenders. Parents of goaltenders, you are saints. Thank you for your service. Cause we all need goalies. Every beer league will tell you that, um, you're braver people than Brad and probably me in the future. All right. Uh, I mentioned it, but Elmer Soderblom off IR skating again. And the Red Wings made the decision as we talked about last episode, probably likely, uh, what they ended up doing was moving him right to Grand Rapids. Obviously he doesn't have to clear waivers early in his career. Uh, and the rookie goes down to the AHL and makes his Griffins debut. What do you make of the move? I mean, the right move for two very obvious reasons. One, he was really struggling bef- shortly before his injury. Um, he had the great start to the season and then and cooled off. And two, he's coming off an injury. Yeah, you don't want to throw him right back to the fire. I mean, players go down for conditioning stints for legitimate reasons all the time. So even if they do envision him back in Detroit this year, yeah, let him get his legs back under him. You know, he's he's the type of player that... The biggest question mark for him was acclimating to the pace of the NHL. So now coming off an injury, that's only going to you know worsen that problem. Yeah. So for both reasons, it it's absolutely the right call to get him in Grand Rapids to get back up to speed. Yeah, exactly as you said. It, this wouldn't have been surprising even if he didn't have that injury. Uh, I don't think the Red Wings lineup is brimming with talent right now that would force him out. Like I think they could have made the room if they needed to. Uh, but there was enough there at the NHL level where it made sense. Also with Robbie Fabry coming back January 1, and you never know what the timeline is on Verona and whenever uh, Bertuzzi and, God, the Zadina question is going to be contentious. I know up until we see a decision there, Soderblom is sheltered, and that's that's what you need. It was fun to see him start the season, and none of this, I think, devalues the way he started the season and made this team against all odds. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's the right decision. And basically you want to see him go there and play like a guy who is massive talented and just spend some time in the NHL and, and do well. And if you don't see that right away, then that's even more confirmation that that's the right move. Speaking of the start of the season, who were the two scratches on forward that were surprising to people for the home opener? Philip Zadina and Pew Suter. Philip Zadina and Pew Suter. Not enough has been made about how wildly different their seasons have gone, because Phillips Phillips Adina had all the hype in terms of how good he was looking at at uh, at camp, how good look he was looking in preseason, the fact that he seemed to be flying, confident, whatever. Zero points has not had the season he wanted to, and is now off on IR. And Pew Suter is quietly putting together, I think, a really really impre- impressive campaign for Detroit. Alongside him, obviously, Jonathan Bergeron. But Joe Valeno too. Joe Valeno has been good and, and a better every game kind of guy. I don't think they get enough appreciation. Now, I know they're not always playing on the same line and there's been a lot of juggling, but this is the point and, and this is kind of the example of what we've been, I think all of us, I think you guys have agreed with me, but the one thing I've been begging the table for this entire Red Wings rebuild, enough of this garbage of having typecast players on your fourth line. Get players who can play. Pew Suter, Joe Valeno, they're not lighting up the score sheet. But you know what they're not? They're not a liability. 
No. Do you know what they do occasionally, more often than previous regimes? They actually do contribute some offense. I mean, if they were contributing more, they would not be down in the lineup, so that's kind of how this works. They are bringing sound, reliable defense. Both of them are good transition players, and both of them have enough skill that when opportunities present themselves, they are able to capitalize. I don't think either of them are the type of players who can force the issue offensively and you know create something out of nothing like a top-line, top-six players can, but they are absolutely good enough to capitalize on other teams' mistakes, and they are good enough to defensively to force some of those mistakes. And even when they're not producing offensively, doesn't mean they're not controlling the puck, doesn't mean they're not getting offensive zone time, doesn't mean they're not transitioning the puck well. They're both very, very good at those things. Yeah. Very good at those things. Both of them just lack a little bit of finish, which, again, is fine. So talk no, to most Red Wings right now. Yeah. Not every player in the NHL. If every player in the NHL could finish regularly, everybody would get 15 minutes a game. There would be no special teams. There would be no lines one through four. This is kind of how it works. And yeah, it's it's nice to see, you know, not to dump on the guy because he hasn't been playing poorly, but like the typecast Adam Ernie types. The, oh, he can only grind, he can only check, and he'll have one heater a year, and that's all you can expect from him. Yeah. You're getting a little more consistency and a little more variety out of these guys on a night-to-night basis, which is huge for this team. Yeah. And like you said, Brad, it hasn't always been uh, Valeno Berggren, uh, Suter. The most recent line combinations were Suter, Rasmus, and Kubelik on the listed second yeah. line, and then Berggren, Valeno, Zarnik on the fourth line. Um, yeah, and as injuries, as Lalone needs to shake things up to try to squeeze offense out of this team that lacks it a lot. I think they're shooting under expected overall as a team for goals. Um, team with lack of shooters shooting under expected. Weird. Yeah, uh, analytics are hard. <laughs> that's why we have Prashanth as a resident expert, <laughs> so we don't have to think about it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been nice to see, and we've always talked about Valeno as a guy who has to slowly ramp up. And I think for Suter as well, he no longer has the responsibility of being the Red Wings' only possible option as second-line center. So if he does move back to the second line in a winger capacity, like you're not ringing so much out of a player where you now no longer get their ideal performance. It's what we saw for years, right? Uh, think of the inverse, where someone who should have been a bottom six player who could have been effective in that role, like Luke Lindenning, and all of a sudden having to play bottom or middle six very important minutes or even higher up sometimes with him and Helm, it just bred uh, a no-win scenario where the player was asked to do something that they really shouldn't be doing. Anyways, um, good on Valeno, good on Suter, good on a lot of these guys, and uh, I just thought they they needed that attention. Uh, some other Red Wings news, Amadeus Lombardi got himself a hattie for the, uh, the Flint Firebirds against Sarnia on the road. Uh, that was a few days ago, or a couple days ago, December 9th. So Amadeus Lombardi continuing to impress down in the OHL. And uh, Henrik Zetterberg, selected for the 2023 IIHF Hall of Fame induction class. So that's the International Ice Hockey Federation induction class. That's not the Hockey Hall of Fame, but we'll get that news someday. Yeah, this is just the uh, warm-up, the the pregame. Yeah. Okay, some NHL news before overtime here. And this is one that I've been uh, excited to talk about because I think most people in the hockey world were wrong about this one. Paige Thompson, man. Look, the reasonable, the reasonable level-headed criticisms of the Tage Thompson contract, which was seven years, uh, 7.142 something million dollars. Essentially, after one really solid Tage Thompson season, they 
signed him on a seven-year, $50 million contract. And the reaction was a lot of, oh man, a guy who went from eight goals, six assists, 14 points to 38 goals, 30 assists, 68 points, and you're going to give him seven years, $50 million just like that. Like Tage Thompson looked unreal last year, but it seems a bit early to give him a seven million dollar or seven year fifty million dollar contract. And even with that qualification, even in, even softening our stance as much as I could, he has proved us and virtually every other critic wrong so far. The dude just put up a five goal game, and he barely played in the third. I want to clarify how I was wrong. <laughs> it's all about it's all it's about, about the nuance it, in this show. Yeah, it's about the nuance. I know I'm wrong. I wasn't even upset about the money or the term relative to his production. What got my, like, why, why are you doing this? Was because that contract extension hasn't even kicked in yet. No, that's for starting. That's next starting season. next season. So I was of the mind: well, you have a one season wonder. Why don't you wait another year just to make sure you really have something here? Because uh, he would cost ten million dollars. Now that's why. Yeah. That's how I was wrong. Kevin, yes, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Adams deserves a lot of credit here. And you know what? In today's NHL, with how restrictive the cap is, that's how you get ahead. It's risky. It's risky because they're. And I mean, let's just anything could happen in the world. I wouldn't call it likely, but Thompson or whoever else in this scenario could fizzle out, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with them for a long time. Uh, and they're just worth- ask the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Don't say let's ride. Don't say let's ride. Don't say let's ride. Anyhow, uh, but if you want to get ahead and get a really good plus value contract for your team, get a player who's producing more uh, than his dollars would suggest, that's how you sign him as early as possible. And I, I mean, I know we're talking about the rest of the NHL, but not to circle back to Detroit. These are all the arguments for signing Mo Satter and Lucas Raymond to eight-year deals the second oh you can. Oh, God. From a, from a team... And GM perspective, where as Red Wings fans, you're looking at how they are performing or or how they show up on the cap and not necessarily how they're performing on the ice. I desperately want Eisman to be able to sign Raymond Insider right now. He can't. He still has to wait. But this is the exact right moment to strike because you know both of those guys are so much more talented than what we're seeing in terms of output. A hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe not five goals a game good. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Can I like, is it weird that I'm a little angry about it? No, okay. Uh, uh, Merrick and a couple other people have made this this More argument. More than a few people have made this argument, and I fully agree. It's stupid. I get hockey culture. Explain it for people. So what happened is Tage Thompson scored four goals in the first period, then one in the second period, and he was going into the third period on the verge of on pace for the NHL all time record for goals in a game, which is seven. Which was set in 1920. Yeah. If you want to talk about, you know, modern hockey, six is essentially the record which Daryl Sittler had back in the 70s. Nobody has had six goals or more since then. Not Lemieux, not Gretzky, not Burre, not Bossy. None of them have done six. And Tage was sitting one, one goal away. But because the Buffalo Sabres were blowing out the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tage Thompson played three and a half minutes in the third period of a 20-minute period. I, like, okay. If Buffalo was beating Columbus 9-1 and Buffalo had nine different goal scorers and you just started rolling the third and fourth lines a ton just to get them ice time, because don't get me wrong, Stuff like that matters to everybody on a team. Like if you have a guy on your fourth line that everybody loves, 
that plays eight minutes a night because like the talent just isn't there, but the guy busts his ass and everybody loves him. These are the type of games. Hey man, get your ass out there, get your ice time, get yourself a couple goals. Like this is like, yeah. we, we want you to enjoy this. Okay. All on board for that. When you have a guy chasing history, an NHL record, a monumental possible moment for the sport, play him. Get him out there. This isn't your normal blowout circumstance. Yeah. You have, like, from a Buffalo Sabres standpoint, how cool would it be to see your team name at the top of that list? Most goals in a game, Tage Thompson, Buffalo Sabres, December, whatever the date was on Wednesday. Like, I appreciate the sportsmanship in hockey, but sometimes it gets to a stupid level and this is it. It's still professional hockey of, you know, millionaires battling millionaires and, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. You know what? I'm on the side of most off more often than not. Yeah, fine. Hold back. I don't care. Nobody's watching this game for the entertainment value anymore. So if you want to be sportsmanship about it, but like, come on. It's not the coaches on the ice or on the bench, and it's not the players on the ice responsibility to do a better job marketing this game. I think that comes from the league's administration, and I think it would be ridiculous. It'd be ridiculous for Colin Campbell or anyone in the NHL to call uh, you know, the, the Buffalo coaching staff or Kevin Adams or anyone to say, hey, in that situation, don't mess around with a record that is over 100 years old, 102 years old. I, I think that'd be stupid. But I agree with you, Brad. I think in general, what got in the way of what could have been an incredible story here is, yeah, don't run up the score because it's unsportsmanlike. Or I think a very fair argument, too, is if we're going to start running up the score, Columbus is going to start taking runs at our players and there's no need to get guys hurt here, especially Tage Thompson. And those are good arguments. I, I, I'm, as much as I make fun of like old heads in hockey, really, you don't have to listen much for me to, to know that I am one. Like I, I'm a little bit, I'm very guilty of being a hockey purist that way. So 90 to 95% of the time I can see those arguments and agree with them. But in this situation, like a 102-year-old record with your superstar player for a team that is, ever since the Jack Eichel saga, has taken every bit of good news that they can get. Oh, man. Just Since let the him Jack go. Eichel saga? You mean the team that came into the league in the 70s and still doesn't have a cup? <laughs> Ask him about a foot in a crease and... All that fun stuff, but still like you're right. Like it's just how fun of a story would that have been? It would have been dominating the headlines. Can you imagine Tage Thompson, Tage Thompson out of Buffalo in the NHL being the headline story while the world cup of soccer or world cup of football, depending on where you're listening from, don't radio me, please is going on. Like that would have been incredible. That it would have been such a big win for the NHL. I get it. I do get the coach's decision. But it was just a bummer to see. Like, I think it would have been so cool. Also, let, let's not let uh, take away the important story here, which is Tage Thompson has been having a phenomenal season and good for him. Like, that guy is a man on fire. He's an absolute freak. I've never been more happy to be wrong because it's just so entertaining to watch. Uh, and five goals that quickly. Unbelievable performance. One of the single best offensive performances we've seen in the, you know, cap era of the NHL. And it could have been that much better. Johan Franzen-esque. Oh, it, that's what it made me think of. Remember, everything Franzen was shooting against Colorado in that one series in the playoffs, 
I'm still mad that Cleary ended up. It was Cleary, right? Who got the tip on the shot from like the top of the circles or the point? The was that the four goal game against yes. San Jose? Yep. Was that San Jose? I think it was San Jose. Yeah. yeah. And that could have been a five goal game. I could have sworn it would have been a five goal game. But yeah, that was. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Franzen. Although Franzen does have a five goal game under his belt against yep. Ottawa in the regular season. Yep. Okay. Um, Joe Malone was is the record holder, January 31st, 1927 goals. And there's a few guys, Daryl Sittler being one of them. Red Berenson said how Sai uh, and Corb Denany both have six goal games. Joe Malone has also a six goal game. These are all uh, 70s, 60s, 40s, and then the rest are in the 20s. Who is the last player on that list that I didn't name with a six goal game? There's no way you're going to get this. If you get this, you're never allowed in my head. Okay, hold on. Matt, I know nobody's done it since Sittler, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, how the hell am I going to pull a random name from like the 50s? No, no, 20s. It was a six- Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't tell me you're about to get this. New Zealand. Oh my. <laughs> I know you were going to tie it back somehow. I'm like, oh, oh he didn't say Newsy. That's amazing. <laughs> I understand. I set, I set the scene for you a little bit, but yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> Newsy Lalone, and for those of you who are wondering why Coach Derek Lalone is called Newsy, it's after legendary, uh, one of the, or literally the one, of the old, one of the OG superstars. Yeah, one of the OG players in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. forget stars, just, yeah, players. Yeah. Edward, or Edward Newsy Lalone. So that's where uh, that's where Derek gets it. So yeah, he has a six-goal game. It actually happened 21 days before Joe Malone's uh, seven-goal game. Oh, yeah. cool. I feel like hockey was might have been a little different back then. Yeah, uh, a little bit different. Uh, some other small pieces, uh, Ely Tolvanen on Nashville. And by the time you're listening to this, you'll probably have news, but he was placed on waivers. Um, I think a very simple, maybe unfair way to reference that situation is Nashville's version of Philip Zadina. Nashville fans are not happy. They, they, uh, are confused and angry. Like they're not confused. They understand that their coach doesn't like this guy. They're not sure why, because every time the impression I was getting from reading was every time he's given a little bit of rope, he seems to do well with it. But then it's kind of like one mistake and he's in the doghouse for two months. Yeah. So they're all certain he's going to get claimed. And most of them are certain he's going to do way better wherever he ends up. Yeah. You look at his numbers right now and it's like he does really well offensively, but has limited offensive output. But then you look under the at the underlyings and it's not necessarily that he's not playing well it's that the opportunity isn't all there that said i think there's always a balance like for example let's look at one of our own shortcomings we were very hopeful of phillips dina's offensive output and so you know when he'd be given some opportunity and wouldn't produce there was a lot of like oh well look at this factor look at that factor this was affecting him there just needs to be more consistent opportunity and that might still come to fruition for phillips dina but that that chance is increasingly small every day i wouldn't bet on it at this point I would imagine there's a little bit of that going on at play with Tolvanen, but in general, with how Hines is supposed to be a guy who develops young guys, but then you look at the situation with the young players around Nashville right now, I can't help but think that the fans are right and that someone is going to claim him and they're going to have a great opportunity for a project. All this to say, I don't think he's reaching Detroit on the waiver list before he gets claimed. No, he is absolutely not making it to Detroit, so it's a moot conversation for us. But for a team with top or middle six minutes to give this guy and who doesn't mind giving him the opportunity for a fresh start there is zero risk at all 
because okay, he has three points in fifteen games and just wave him again. Who cares? Yeah, it's zero risk. Yeah. Montreal, Chicago, Arizona, Columbus. Yeah. Which one of those teams isn't putting in a claim? Yeah, uh, like you may as well. Uh, and in terms of guys who are maybe supposed to be more talented than what we've seen, Yessi Puliarvi out of Edmonton. I mean, flaming himself in an interview, tanking his own trade value. But that is a guy who is suffering in terms of confidence right now. Edmonton has to be out on him, right? Edmonton's got to get rid of him. And I'm not even saying this as a knock against Edmonton or Puliarvi. Just like Edmonton, it's not working out there anymore. It's not Edmonton. He needs a change of scenery. He's not doing anything for Edmonton. This is the like I'm not saying give him away, but whatever you're holding out for, you're not getting it. No, that's it's just that's gone now. You're not going to get anything for him. He's not going to bounce back there. Take whatever mid round pick you can get for him, and just you know, to improve your team and and to do him a favor, just do it, and you know. As we all know, Ken Holland, big on, um, you know, making things happen quickly. So last thing, and not that there's a whole story here, but just because I want to bring it up. Did you see the Shabbat Hamannick, <laughs> Shabbat frustrated, tried to whack like the end of the, the bench, like the dividing stanchion glass, whatever, and just destroyed Hamannick, whacked him in the face full on with a stick. Like, dude. So, somewhere, so, somewhere, for no reason, Thomas Vokun's hand just started shaking. <laughs> He's just sitting there in a quiet room. It happened again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what better encapsulation of how Ottawa's season has gone in that moment? Like, this was a team where I think of us three, I had them the highest, not in a playoff spot, but just outside of it. I'm like, yeah, they're going to take a big step forward. They've added a lot of talent. We're going to see a big year from Tim Stutzla, blah, blah, blah. They went out and got these players. Meanwhile, in the basement, struggling for the most part, whatever. What's supposed to be one of your most important players on the team is getting so frustrated frustrated that he two hands his teammate in the face. There's no story there. I think they were laughing about it right afterwards. But Oh, Hamannick didn't look like he was laughing. No, not in the moment, and nor he, should he He be. was very angry. Yeah, but someone said after, like, they were laughing about it on the bench, okay. which, I mean... Shabbat should be so lucky because yeah, like take a two-hander to the face. Listen, Thomas, I was the one sitting here in our season preview saying you were the only good defenseman on this team. (laughs) Okay. I I'm with you. I feel for you. And I agree. Travis Hamannick is the biggest problem on that blue line. This is not how you solve that problem. Thomas (laughs) almost did. (laughs) This is not how you solve that problem. Thomas. Uh, Okay. Why don't we bring this over to Overtime? Uh, Overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. Join the so-called Dub Dub Club. Uh, Get access to uh, Overtime questions and comments to be read out on air or in our Patreon-exclusive Overtime episodes that we record right after these. So, yes, we record a bonus uh, little mini episode of the podcast where we loosen up, answer all the questions that didn't make it to the main show, you also get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. You get entered into uh, all of our giveaways, whether they're Patreon exclusive or uh, public. And uh, actually, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of those tickets are going right to patrons. So 
patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. That's how the show runs through your very generous support. Uh, so if you are wanting to contribute, uh, that's the best way to do it. And we, we so, so appreciate it. Logan Burgos says, did Moritz Sider's path to the NHL set the bar too high for Simon Edvinson? To anybody with common sense, no. Uh, to some small minority of the fan base, yes. I think initially, yes. Like initially the hype was there where where the expectations were probably too high or you know, we, we hoped for probably more than what was reasonable. But I, I think the fan base by and large is is pretty fair on Edvinson right now. I, yeah. I think we've landed in a really good spot where folks are understanding of where he's at in his progression, which is nice to see. Hence why I said a yeah. small percentage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one's from Jonathan Melwish, who's over in the UK. He says, hey guys, uh, as I get over another gut punch, England lost at a major tournament. Is there a game either Canada, uh, the States, or the Wings lost that it took you time to get over? Oh man, I don't even need to tell you about 2009. Didn't happen. That's everyone's answer, right? No. I'm still unfamiliar with your, with what you're talking about when you reference it. AJ Voss says, I like to think that the Larkin and Bertuzzi extensions are in the drawer and Eisman is just waiting to file them with the league until the trade deadline. So he only has to do one presser this season. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you that is so incredibly unlikely except like it would, that would never happen except in the scenario you just outlined. <laughs> Cause that's the only justification there would be for it. You might've just given Steve Eisman an idea actually. And we hate you for it. Uh, Similar, there's a comment here from Mike Caviani who says, so I don't want to be an alarmist, but did you catch the quick interview with Larkin during the intermission the other night? Uh, he seemed pretty down when referring to Lalone's system. He said, it's not the most fun way to play. Something or nothing, given the contract concerns. Okay, there's something there that I think is worth calling out. There looked like there was a little bit of, I almost want to say, chirping like on the Red Wings bench, like guys were jawing at each other. And it, it just seemed like one of those games where nothing was going right. And I wonder if that wasn't a message by Larkin for his team more than an indictment on the Lalone system. Because the way I interpret, interpreted those comments was, yeah, not every guy gets to go out and have an individual incredible performance and it might not be what you're used to. But when we do win games, this is how we do it. So guys, like it doesn't matter how ugly it is. Anyways, all that to say, um, I don't think it's something to be concerned about, especially in terms of the contract negotiations. Yeah, nobody likes playing in defensive systems. Spoiler. Yeah. Not even defensemen. Uh, okay. And the last Larkin-related comment right in the series here. Joining the Dark Sider says, if the worst case happens and Larkin does indeed walk, who is the next player to wear the C? Oh. <laughs> First of all, all of these uh, doomsday scenario comments, I, I can appreciate why you're asking them, but you're going to freak people out. Um, no, in all seriousness, you would probably evaluate where's Mo Sider in terms of your team's progression. And do you want him to stay for a while? Do you think he's ready yet? Do you give it to a guy like Perron in the interim? Do you give it to a guy like Sherratt in the interim? Um, maybe Cop, but I would probably imagine it would be a, a like Sider or one of the veterans situation. Well, if they lose Larkin, you know, I'll take the optimist standpoint here as to who the next captain is david pasternak next question <laughs> okay because the next <laughs> the next question i was going to ask is jacob charlip says uh, hey fellows with this team looking fringe playoff ish and knowing the pieces coming in next in the next couple of years what's the home run swing you'd each take to grab that elite piece we seem to be currently missing david pasternak 
Because there's no other way to do it other than there's, you can make a massive trade, of course. But then you're losing assets to gain an asset. I'd rather lose a little pay, overpay in cap space and not give up first round picks and like roster players, ideally. Yeah. Um. So it'll never happen. I'd bet a good amount of money he stays in Boston. But oh, with how they're playing this year, yeah. God. But if I'm going into this offseason, you know, just swinging for the fences, you know, Pasternak's the best case scenario, it's not going to happen. But that's the dream. And last comment here is from Aaron Hudson. Uh, Hi, boys. I hope all is well in your worlds. Had a pretty horrendous week. Uh, My mom was taken into hospital on Sunday evening. Uh, she had lost the ability to speak properly and couldn't finish the sentence. It was extremely confused, not long arriving after arriving at the hospital. Um, she had a seizure, seizure and she came very close uh, to dying a couple of times, actually, over the next couple of days. But thanks to the amazing doctors and nurses, she is home now and recovering. Uh, Aaron, before I reading the rest of the comment, I just want to say we are very, very happy to hear that your mom's doing okay. Um, and that must have been incredibly scary, but... Um, yeah, very glad and very appreciative also of, of the medical staff there. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you guys having the podcast to listen to, uh, whilst at her bedside gave me a distra- distraction and genuinely stopped me from losing my mind. And the messages of support from the uh, folks in the discord really means a lot. And it helped me. I adore the community you guys have created and this week. It genuinely made a huge impact on my life. Uh, sorry for the rambling comment, but I genuinely owe you guys my sanity. Well, anytime anyone owes us their sanity, that's probably not a great sign. But <laughs> um, again, if if this if this silly, inane rambling could bring you any comfort, we are overjoyed at that, and that's the most we could ever ask for. But um, we're very, very happy to hear uh, that your mom's doing okay and that uh, things have calmed down a bit. So um, all the best to you and your mom, Aaron. Very well said, Ryan, but the line was sitting right there and you missed it. Of course, that's my job on the show. If our insanity keeps your sanity, we're doing our job. I would never would have gotten that. That's huh. because it's because you've bought into being insane. You know we're insane and yes. you lean into that. I like to pretend we're not because I am. Oh, God. Are you new here? Some days. <laughs> like it's been almost eight years. I got like. <laughs> we're going to be at 10 in no time. Yeah. Someone was like, uh, how many episodes have you guys done? We're coming up on 600. This actually might be our 600. Who's been counting you? Yeah, I know. Okay, folks, we're going to wrap this up and record our Patreon exclusive. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, listeners new and old, uh, we can't say thank you enough for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That makes a big difference, whether it be YouTube or whatever pod- podcast app you use. And leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on, on wherever you get your podcast. It does make a big difference. So uh, if you'd like to leave a, a, a five-star rating, that makes a world of difference for us. So thank you all so much. Uh, we'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, and all of our patrons. I mean, that's the biggest way you can support, and we can't say thank you enough to all of you. Our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Armchair GM slash genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Don't Drive distra- Don't Drive Distracted, Just Let the Next Episode Autoplay Instead, <laughs> Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, 
Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Worse Ryan, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl uh, Thames, Thames, I hope I'm saying that right, Carl, brand new name level sponsor, welcome. Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Overload the Slot 60% of the time, it works every time, Thick Rick and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so, so very much. And we will talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.